Good morning. As we turn our attention to God's word this morning, we seek to receive it with joyful reverence and also sober humility. The summons to the word found in your bulletin prepares our hearts and minds to do just that. Let's read it together. Jesus said, if you hold to my teaching, you are really my disciples. Then you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. This morning's scripture reading is taken from Colossians chapter 1, verses 1 through 8. In the Blue Pew Bible, it can be found on page 1015. Again, the text is Colossians 1, verses 1 through 8, and can be found on 1015 of the Pew Bibles. Hear now the word of the Lord. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by the will of God and Timothy, our brother, to God's holy people in Colossae, the faithful brothers and sisters in Christ, grace and peace to you from God our Father. We always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you, because we have heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love you have for all of God's people the faith and love that spring from the hope stored up for you in heaven and about which you have already heard in the true message of the gospel that has come to you. In the same way, the gospel is bearing fruit and growing throughout the whole world, just as it has been doing among you since the day you heard it and truly understood God's grace. You learned it from Ephesus our dear fellow servant, who was a faithful minister of Christ on our behalf, and who also told us of your love in the Spirit. Thank you, Well, as we turn to, uh, to God's word, let's go ahead and uh, bow our heads in prayer. Heavenly Father, this morning, with the words of my mouth, and the meditations of all of our hearts be pleasing in your sight, our Lord, our Rock, and our Redeemer. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, we're launching into the book of Colossians this morning. Last week, I wanted to take us uh, through a brief prefatory um, introduction uh, to talk about the, the man behind the letter, uh, the author behind uh, this uh, book of Colossians. We talked a little bit about Paul, and I want to touch on something that I, I missed last week before jumping into this passage. As I mentioned last week, historians have noted, and, and it's really undeniable, that, that Paul at one time was a persecutor of Christianity. He hated the church. He wanted to destroy the church. He says as much in his letters. And then inexplicably, there's this, this undeniable historical reality, too, that at some point he becomes one of the greatest proclaimers of Christianity. So he goes from being this persecutor, someone who wants to see the church destroyed, to being its greatest advocate. And I, I mentioned that. In fact, I want to turn just really briefly. You have your, your pew Bible. I want to turn to the book of Acts. There's a, there's a place where just after Paul has encountered the risen Christ on the road to Damascus, that um, there is a man who is supposed to minister to him uh, by the name of Ananias. And what's amazing here is the way that, um, is the way that, that we see Ananias' response to, um, 
to this. So we have in chapter 9, you have, uh, you have Paul's uh, conversion, and then we have uh, an amazing account right after that. It's in verse, verse 10. Uh, chapter 9, verse 10. This is on page 944 of your pew Bible, if you want to follow along. Verse 10 says, in Damascus, so again, Paul hasn't, he's just gotten there to Damascus. He, he went there to persecute, and Christ has appeared to him on the road. He says, in Damascus, there was a disciple named Ananias. The Lord called to him in a vision, Ananias. Yes, Lord, he answered. The Lord told him, go to the house of Judas on Straight Street and ask for a man, ask for a man from Tarsus named Saul. Again, that's, 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 that's Paul's um, Semitic name, Saul. And for he is praying. In a vision, he has seen a man named Ananias come and place his hands on him to restore his sight. Lord, Ananias said, I have heard many reports about this man uh, and all the harm he has done to your holy people in Jerusalem. And he has come here with authority from the chief priest to arrest all who call on your name. Right? Ananias is like, this guy is bad news. Right? Verse 15, but the Lord said to Ananias, go, this man is my chosen instrument to proclaim my name to the Gentiles and their kings and to the people of Israel. Verse 16, I will show him how much he must suffer for my name. Now, I want to mention that because this, the person of Paul is a person, again, of radical reversal, of complete conversion. And I want us, this is so important to me, I want us as a church to be praying that God will raise up future Pauls. I mean, can you think right now, think of someone, maybe it's a family member, maybe it's a coworker, uh, maybe it's you know, a neighbor, someone who you believe is just as far away from Christianity as possible. Someone you think, you know, I can't imagine, for whatever reason, I can't imagine that person ever being interested in the things of God, much less being uh, an advocate a proclaimer, someone who is promoting fearlessly at great suffering, at great cost to themselves. Think, do you, can you think of someone like that? And would you be willing to pray regularly that God will just transform their heart and change them in this un, un, utterly unforeseen, unpredictable way? And I just, I long for that, that we be praying these prayers of really impossibility, these prayers that, that, that we, 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 we look at people who are so distant, so far removed, people who've wronged us specifically, perhaps, and we pray that God will do amazing things uh, in their life. So I just wanted to mention that because I think it's just so important. It's important to our text that we're going to see, but it's important in the sense of, as, as a church, as, and as in, in our culture today, we live in such such uh, trying times, such polarized times, and we need to be, be asking God to send out workers uh, into the fields, and uh, we, we're, we're called to do that. So I want to ask you to, to commit to doing it. Think of someone you know and regularly be praying for them. It could be a public figure, you know, someone that we know, someone that we see on the news, whoever it may be, but let's ask God to raise up more, 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 more men and women like the Apostle Paul. So as we turn to... Um, as we turn to consider, uh, consider the, our the book here, Colossians chapter 1, I want to begin with a story of a man that I got to know when I was in my 20s. Um, he was, at the time, he was a middle-aged uh, husband and father. He worked in construction. In fact, he worked in high-rise uh, construction buildings along the Florida coast. 
very good at what he did. He was an Auburn uh, grad. He was huge into football. Um, he was, in some ways, he was your stereotypical construction worker. Uh, very rough around the edges. Uh, he, um, uh, you know, he 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 part. He worked hard and he partied hard. He would. Every, he was a. He was. He every Saturday he would bow down before the shrine of ESPN, and, and watch. You know, watch football. And uh, he he. Um, his favorite pastime was he had bought this. I mean, really beautiful Harley, and he and his buddies would go riding. You know, on the weekends, etc. And he. Uh, and he was a very much, I would say, a uh, uh, typical sort of detached husband, uh, very stubborn, um, just doing his thing. In fact, he, was, he, would, he would at one moment have bouts of real anger and then just give way to silence and just withdraw. And that's kind of that's who he was. And I got to know him, and uh, by God's grace, as he began to go to our church, he began to listen and they began to change. And that he and I often met together. And it was amazing to see the gospel produce fruit in this man's life. He hears the gospel, and strange things start to happen. His anger gives way to regret, self-reflection. His stubbornness gives way to a generosity an astonishing generosity and a concern for others, whereas before he was complacent and detached as a husband and as a father, he became, he became incredibly thoughtful to his wife, considerate to his children, and he, he would grieve, and, and, and he would call, it was amazing to see him become a man of prayer. But it's just so unusual to see someone like that so transformed that he realized his own inability, his own failings, his own inability to help anyone else. So he would pray. He said, I was a man of prayer, and he would constantly be praying. And I'll never forget one Sunday after church, his wife pulled me aside, and she said, this morning, for the first time in 20-something years of marriage, my husband apologized. He apologized to me. He apologized for a whole list of ways in which he'd failed as a husband. See, when the gospel gets a hold of someone, it produces fruit, real fruit. And we're going to see that in our passage. So if you're next, turn to the right, back to Colossians. Again, Colossians chapter 1. Now, what I want you to see this morning, it's so important, that that man could not do those things on his own. There is a realism, even a cynicism, to the scriptures. It looks at, looks at us, and despite how dressed up I may be, despite how educated I may be, despite what connections I have, I cannot change myself. I can maybe make makeovers. I can listen to self-help podcasts, whatever it may be. But at the end of the day, I will go back to my old ways. I won't produce a life of fruitfulness. And this is what I want you to see, that this man, this man that I mentioned just now, his life went from being a life of futility, a life of, self, of stubbornness, a life of selfishness, to a life that was fruitful. Now think about that. Do you want that in your life? A life that it goes from being just futile to being fruitful. Because that's what's happening in the Colossians' lives. And Paul begins in verse 3 by thanking them. 
I mean, he, he, he them start by thanking God for them. Verse 3, he says, We always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you. So he's, so it's very simple. Paul is grateful because of the growth that is happening in the lives of the Colossians. And he, he lists two, what, what, what growth is, what fruit is this. He mentions it right there in verse 4. Because we have heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love you have for all God's people. Now those two things, faith and love, these are what marked the people of, of the church in Colossae. And it says faith, and that's, that's a fair translation. I would probably more translate like faithfulness. That there's a devotion here. There's a loyalty to Christ and to one another, marked also by a love and abiding concern. It's a beautiful thing. That faith and that love, that marks their lives. They are in the chaos of life, in the confusion of life, in the uncertainties of life. There are two things that characterize their lives. A loyalty to God, a loyalty to Christ, a loyalty to one another, and a love, a concern for each other. Isn't that beautiful? It's so simple. Wouldn't you want your life to be known, to be marked by a love, a love for others? Is there anyone that, that can say, you know, so-and-so, she... She's got my back. I know that whatever happens, I can go, I can go to him. Can people say that about you? Can others here this morning say that about you? No, whatever, no, it wouldn't matter what happened. They've got me. They care for me. They're going to help me. They're going to be by my side. They're going to hope for me. They're going to pray for me. They're going to care for me. See, these struggling Colossians, many of them would have been subsistence level, poor, uneducated, illiterate. It didn't matter. Their lives, their lives were marked by love, by life-giving love. But how is that possible? How is it possible in the midst of the chaos of life for that faith and that love to happen? Again, people don't just do these things on their own. Well, we, we see it here, verse 4 and 5. He talks about, first he says, I'm grateful. Then he says, because of the growth that you've had, right? And, and where is this growth coming from? He says, where is this faith and love? Where, where do they, where, what's the origin? What's their source? Look at verse 5. He says, well, there's a, the faith and the love that spring from the hope stored up for you in heaven and about which you have already heard in the true message of the gospel. So there's, Paul is grateful because of the growth that's in the Colossians, and that growth, that, that, that love and that faith, they come from the gospel, from this, the hope found in the gospel. And this is, this is so beautiful, it's so important. So listen to this. The, 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 the continuing of love, the continuing of faith, happens because it's rooted in a hope. Let me, say, let me say that in a, in a reverse form. When we give up, we give in. Most of the time, people who decide to, 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 to act in ways that are um, destructive of themselves, destructive of others, they do it out of despair. They do. 
know, so often people will, um, will, will see, you'll see someone, um, in fact, I was, uh, who was I talking to not too long ago? It was a person in the service industry. They were a waitress or a, uh, um, um, yeah, a waiter, they might have been a bartender. And I was, I was talking to them. I said, you know, m people come to bars and establishments like that to have fun and the party, and you see all the kind of the celebrating going on. But I said, I, when you talk to them, you get to know them, what are the most of their lives like? And she said, uh, she said you know, most of them are going, uh, are in the bar because they're trying to escape. Trying to escape a life of, of pain, of loneliness, of sorrow. So it's not about, and there's no judgment here. My point is that so often underneath, behind the addictions, behind the, the illicit relationships, behind all the stuff that is bad, is a heart that has lost hope. Again, we give in when we've given up. And so the question is, how can I continue, like the Colossians, in love, loving that difficult spouse, loving that difficult child, loving that difficult family member, loving or, or being faithful, being continuing at work, how do, I, how do we continue in love? How do we continue in faith in the midst of a chaotic and difficult life? And, my, and, and here the answer is a hope. It is a hope. Listen, I love how Paul describes this. The faith, faith the first five, the faith and love that spring from the hope stored up for you in heaven. So that's a way of describing the security of this hope. It is a hope stored up for you in heaven. That's a way to say Paul is describing heaven as a place of finality. It's a place of certainty. It's a place that, that can't, be, can't be touched, if you will. It's a place of finality. In the same sense, think of, think of, think of the, there are times when uh, in, uh, people will refer in the news, they'll talk about Washington or the White House. And the White House, a decision is made by the White House. And the idea is that a decision made in the White House is a final decision. There's no higher authority. It's secure. It's final. And he's saying here, this hope is a hope stored up for you in heaven. Remember how Jesus talks about, he says, do not lay up for yourself treasures on earth. Why? That's where moth destroys. That's where thieves break in and steal. See, it's not sure. It's not secure. It's, it's passing. And he's saying this hope is a hope that is secure. And the reason it's secure is because it's found, it's rooted in this message of the gospel. And this is what I want to take a few minutes to talk about. What is it about this gospel message that provides a hope that then leads to a life of love and faith? It's so simple. Paul himself saw the resurrected Christ. And in seeing the resurrected Christ, he realized something that changed everything. That God, in the person of Jesus, had reversed the irreversible. Does that make sense? That in that he saw Jesus as one who had overcome death, who had overcome disobedience, who had overcome the demonic realm, who had overcome all, all powers, all earthly powers. He was over them. He was above them. And he, and he realized there was nothing that could stop him. In fact, in, in one, in one uh, version in Acts 26, when Paul's recounting his Damascus Road experience, this is so beautiful. He, he, says, he says, Jesus said to him, Paul, Paul, why are you persecuting me? 
And at one level, it's kind of like, it's a beautiful uh, unity. We're persecuting me, speaking of the church. Jesus takes the persecution of the church very personally. But he's asking why. Like, what do you think you're doing? <laughs> I mean, you think you're going to get away with anything? But this is, and then what does he say? He says, he says Paul, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And then he says, it is hard to kick against the goads. I love that line. Like, you're not going to win. Paul, I'm in charge. I'm at the right hand of the Father. I've, over, I've mastered all earthly powers. I've mastered all the powers of darkness. There's no undoing this. So there's a finality. There is a finality, and, and, and if you will, an irreversibility to the, the work of God in Jesus Christ that nothing and no one can ever undo. Right? We sang that. No scheme of man, no, part, no power of hell, no scheme of man can pluck me from his hand. Right? There's a, there's a finality. There's, 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 there's reality that I share now in the destiny of, of Jesus' life. His life, his death, his resurrection, his return. I am bound up with it. And nothing, nothing can undo that. Nothing can change that. And it's that hope, it's that irreversible, unshakable hope that these uh, very, you know, very regular, ordinary people of Asia Minor, these Colossian Christians, they get a hold of that. And they say, you know what? None of this stuff matters. It doesn't matter how much money I have. It doesn't matter my social connections. It doesn't matter even how healthy I am. I am simply, no matter what my circumstances are, I am going to live a life of love and a life of faith. That's what they do. That's what Paul is just blown away by. I am so grateful for the growth that I see, a growth that is found in a hope that comes from the gospel. And this is so beautiful. He says, now look, understand what's happening in you, among you Colossians isn't some unique phenomenon. This gospel is producing fruit all around the world. Look at what he says in verse 6. He speaks of a gospel that has come to you, and he says, in the same way, the gospel is bearing fruit and growing throughout the whole world, just as it has been doing among you since the day you heard it and truly understood God's grace. No, it's, it's an amazing thing. In fact, it's exactly what happens all throughout the first century. Paul, as Paul is planting these churches, these churches, these, these, these churches and Christians plant more churches and, and more people come to Christ and it just spreads. It's, a, it's beautiful to see the early church and the spread of the gospel giving hope, a hope that leads to changed lives. Listen, gang, you can't change yourself. You can't change yourself others i've tried <laughs> i've tried I've tried to change myself I've tried to i've tried to change others listen if your life if life right now feels hopeless it's because it is apart from christ i don't know why i can't get that through my thick skull I'm always like, I'll say to Sarah, you know, ministry is so hard. Loving people is so hard. Obeying is so hard. And it's like, no, it's not hard. It's impossible. Right? I'm like, this is impossible. 
And, and Jesus is like, yeah, um, it's impossible. Like, I said, with man, this is impossible. Like, what, what part of that do you not understand? You know what I mean? And it's like, so hey, okay. But no, I, I can still do this. I got it. I got this. And he's like, you know? But I'm telling you, you cannot change on your own. And Paul is here celebrating something that's mind-boggling, selfish, scared, little people in Colossae. They're, they're loving. They're being loyal. They're being committed in a world where it's, everything's charade. Everything's all, it's all fake. It's all, it's all just show. They're these real people who are really loyal to one another, who really love each other and care about each other. And they're doing it at a great cost. And Paul's writing from prison, just saying, I'm amazed at what I'm hearing. This is so beautiful. It's so lovely. He doesn't care how much money they have. He doesn't care what car they're driving. He doesn't even care how healthy they are. He cares that they're loving each other and that this beautiful fruit is spreading, not just in Colossae, but throughout the Mediterranean world. It's happening. There's a reversal. People are becoming more human again through this beautiful message of one who has overcome death and disobedience and even the devil himself. So let me ask you, where have you given in? Where have you given in? Given in to bitterness. Given in to anger. Given in to addiction. Behind that is the fact that you've given up in some way. You've given up. I understand you. I'm right there with you. But I just want to give up. There are days I just want to say, forget this. This is so dumb. This is so insane. So bizarre. So unfair. We give up because we give in. And Paul is saying here that there is an event that has happened in which we, as we bow our knee in Jesus Christ, when we say, okay, I give up. I really do. I give up. You're in charge. You are going to be Lord. When in that act of faith, there is that we are united to Jesus' life. His obedience becomes our obedience. His death becomes our death. His resurrection becomes our resurrection. We share in that, in a way, there's a union there. And, in this, and we'll talk about this more in the, in the book of Colossians. An indissoluble union that I am caught up with him. And I share now irrevocably in that wondrous union, and in that, that fact of Jesus' resurrection, seeing, listen to this, seeing God reverse the irreversible is what gives us that, that, that unshakable, world-changing hope. That's what Christianity is about. From day one, Abraham onward. Abraham, a man, Sarah, Sarah infertile. There's no way. They, you look at, they're the picture of death. They're the picture of death. The picture of no future, no hope. And God says, I'm going to start with them, and I'm going, to irre- I'm going to reverse the irreversible. Is that the God whom you worship? A God who takes the worst possible situations and says, yeah, I can undo that. That's the God whom we worship. That's the hope that is so secure. It is Jesus Christ reigning at the right hand of the Father, Lord over death, Lord over disease, Lord over disobedience, Lord over the the demonic realm, Lord over the dictators of this earth. He's in charge. He's at the right hand. And that is our only comfort in life and in death. Now let me ask you that song that, um, that Jesse and Adam and Emily so beautifully sang. On Christ, the solid rock I stand, 
finish it? All else, sinking sin. Do you really? Do you really? I mean, do you really believe that? Is it really that stark? I mean, your career. You want to like stand on your career? Stand on a friendship and a relationship. Is there anything else that sure, that solid? Are you standing on Christ, that solid rock? Are you saying, yeah, you know what? Everything else really is sinking sand. It really is. The only hope is this one, this carpenter from Nazareth who reigns at the right hand of the Father. Let me just, one more comment here and we'll we'll close shop here. He says here, Verse 6, um, <clears throat> he talks about the gospel that has come from them. It's a gospel that is bearing fruit and growing throughout the world. Right? It's, it's bringing that love and that faithfulness, that, that love and that loyalty. And then he says here, just as we've been doing among you, since the day that you heard it and truly understood God's grace. See, fundamental to the gospel is this thing called grace. And I'll explain it very simply. Jesus came to live a life that he did not deserve at all. In fact, Jesus did everything perfectly, and everyone, including the Father, treated him as if he had done everything wrong. He was treated completely unfairly. In fact, there's no one who was treated more unfairly than Jesus. He was not treated at the cross, on the cross, Jesus was not treated as he deserved. And the reason why is so that you and I might never be treated as we deserve. Got that? God was not fair with Jesus so that he doesn't have to be fair with us. And then we're to take that and pass it on, to pay it forward. Do you see that? In the same way that, Jesus was, that God was unfair with Jesus so that he doesn't have to, be, doesn't have to give me what I deserve, Therefore, I'm not going to give other people what they deserve. I'm not going to be fair. I'm not going to be uh, exacting. I'm not going to return tit for tat. I'm not going to be about vengeance. I'm going to treat people in a way that they completely don't deserve, in a beautiful way. I'm going to love my enemies. I'm going to pray for those who persecute me. When someone curses me, I'm going to bless them. What, what just mind-boggling way of living life. And this is what these Colossians are doing. And it's just, it's just, it doesn't make any sense. I want you to think right now of someone who doesn't like you, someone who's wronged you, someone who's hurt you. Can you think of a way this week to bless them? To encourage them? Maybe give a gift to them? I don't know. This is not flattery. This is not manipulation. It's loving in return for hating. And when you do that, you will experience a freedom, a joy. There's nothing more beautiful than loving like that. And listen, let me close with this. No one can stop you from loving. No one can. In fact, it was, so, it was one of the most beautiful things, one of the most inclusive, you know, the, the, the two greatest commandments that we recite, the, the summary of the law that we recite every single Sunday it's the most important thing, the greatest commandments, and no one can stop you from doing them. Isn't that amazing? You don't have to have a certain amount of money. You don't have to have a certain amount of education. You don't need to have a certain social status. Not even your enemies can stop you from loving them. Isn't that an amazing thing? 
So again, let me summarize. Paul is grateful. He's so grateful. Why? Because of the growth. There's real growth. There's fruitfulness. The real growth. There's love and there's faithfulness. There's loyalty that he sees in them. And he, he, it's coming. It's rooted. It's grounded. Its source is in this gospel. The hope that is found in a gospel of one who is raised from the dead. One who has reversed the irreversible. One who is Lord over all the darkness. One who came to be treated so unfairly. When you are struggling to love, simply go back to the life of Christ and watch him love. Watch how unfairly he was treated. This is how I like to say it. No one was treated as unfairly as Jesus, but no one trusted God as fully as Jesus.